Uh, turn to Luke chapter 7, 36 and following. Uh, this is a tremendous passage and will be our passage for this morning. So this is the Word of God according to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 and following. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered, uh, answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, from whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he, uh, turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I have entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with, uh, with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So we all say together. Go ahead and have a seat. So this is the word of God. This is quite the passage, isn't it? All right, so I want you to imagine what a dinner party like this may or may not have looked like. So uh, the host of the dinner party has invited a prominent leader to come in and to share a meal with them. We've seen this before. I was just at the Johnson City Prayer breakfast, and I learned that last year, right, just a year ago, uh, that Governor Bill Lee was the guest speaker of the Johnson City Prayer Breakfast. So I want you to imagine the excitement of having the governor here, right, in our city. A little bit nervous, right, because, I mean, it takes a lot to impress your in-laws. Think about having to impress the one that's over the entire state. I mean, just a lot of pressure, right? And so imagine that during his talk, someone made a racket in the back and kind of made their way up front and is standing right beside him. That's awkward, right? He is the prominent leader. He's the one supposed to be giving the talk. Now, let's go a step further. 
Governor Billy up on stage about to give a talk. And then we have the uninvited guest who's made their way up to the stage. And now we understand that this is a woman. And this woman is, we'll call, scantily clad. Also, she's dressed for other people to notice her. So we went from being awkward to a little bit nervous. What exactly is going on here? Let's go a step further. You've got the governor being invited on stage. Some kind of ruckus in the back. She's made herself up front. Now, she reaches out her hands, grabs him by the shoulders, and starts a deep tissue massage. Now we've gone from awkward and nervous to like just all kinds of curiosity. I mean, this is scandalous at best. So if the Johnson City Press was there, oh, they're running this story, right? If WJHL is there, I mean, they're like, what is going on here? So picture yourself in that crowd. How would you respond? Would you freeze? Would you start to murmur to yourself? Like, did you see that? What was going on? I mean, like, what, what kind of, what kind, what's the ambiance in the room as you start to watch this unfold? What if you're the governor, right? And you had, I mean, you're not prepping for this. This is not, uh, this is not a plot. This is not just a, a, a skit. This is happening in real time. Do you try to do something to ease the tension of the embarrassment of the room? But what if you were the host? What if you were responsible for getting the governor there and promised him he would have an undivided att- uh, the attention of the room and we were here to pray and now he is under this kind of scorn? Would you push her to the side? Would you try to save face? What exactly would happen? Well, this is exactly where we find Jesus because he's a guest to this party. This is the second of what we're called a, a Greco-Roman symposium mill. This, these symposium mills, and you can kind of hear the phrase, at table, is the inspiration for this sermon series, the realia of food and drink. Because in chapters 5 and 7 and 9, 2 and 14, and then 22, and then chapters 24, you're going to see Jesus at a literal meal. And so this symposium meal is at someone's home. You're all seated around what's called a a U-like structure. So there's tables on three sides. The people who are invited to this are actually on the outside of these tables to allow the inside for the servants to be able to access the inside to serve the people who are on the outside. The people who are at this uh, meal are likely very, very important. Uh, You need to know that they are in the prone position, meaning that they are propping on one elbow with their feet behind them, right? So they're reclining at table. This is, I don't know if uh, you're interested in this. This is not how I eat. It's, it's, you know, I'm kind of sitting up, but it's kind of like uh, having a meal and taking a nap all at the same time. It's, it's like one of those positions. So I don't know where the crumbs fall in that position, but you kind of see this is where this, Jesus' feet are behind him. This house, a prominent house, right? Big house. Enough for a courtyard for to, to host this many people and these types of things. Probably access to the, the town square, it's spilling over because we hear that this lady has access to at least to see what is going on behind her. Jesus arrives at the Pharisee's house, having been invited by this man to eat in his 
home. This is not corporate, right? This is the intimacy of someone's personal home. Verses 36 and 37 and 44, you hear that we are at his house. We don't know why he's invited uh, Jesus to this mill. Maybe he's curious. Maybe he wants to be taught. Maybe he's setting Jesus up for a trap. We simply don't know other than here's a Pharisee who's invited Jesus into his home for dinner. And so the tension of the passage is all of this is set up when an uninvited guest shows up. She comes bursting through the door, jumps the gate. We're not sure, but somehow she makes her, her way at table here. We know it's quite the clamor because of the word behold, right? So it's very Christmassy, like, and behold, the woman shows up in the middle of this dinner party. So who is this woman? She's simply a woman of the city. It goes on more than that. It says that she is a sinner. Verse 37, verse 39, verse, 40, uh, verse 47, she is simply a sinner, a woman of the city. She's labeled in some kind of category. She's a notorious sinner of some case. We don't know exactly, exactly what's going on, but, but, but we could imply some things. Maybe this is prostitution. We don't know. We know it's a little bit scandalous. We don't know if she's a stripper. We don't know if she's a porn star. But we know that there's something that defines and labels this woman. And then she has her actions. Her actions find herself loitering on the outside at the town square, noticing that Jesus is at table. And so she finds herself there. And this is where the story truly gets shocking, really embarrassing. There's a stair-stepped approach to what is happening here. First and foremost, um, she stands behind Jesus. He's reclined at table, feet behind him, and she's simply standing behind him. And we hear that she's weeping. The second progression is that she's not just weeping, but then she lets down her hair. Her hair is her crown. It's shocking in that a woman was not supposed to let her hair down in public. There was one person and one place for that type of action. It was likely in front of her husband and likely even in the bedroom. Highly provocative, highly inappropriate. But then she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. It gets worse. It gets more scandalous. Then she begins to kiss Jesus' feet. The Greek here is strong in that she doesn't just, it's not just a peck once at his feet, but it's continually kissing his feet. And then there's this perfume. She anoints his feet with this perfume, and this is the good stuff. We can only imagine why she has it on her. There's a clear suggestion here that Jesus is being treated potentially like one of her clients. She only knows one way of showing affection or showing love, and it's here in this way. It's inappropriate. It's embarrassing. It's making all of us blush, and we're 2,000 years removed of that. 
But that's not the point of the passage. It's not to be shocked and not to be embarrassed by her actions. Instead, the shocker is Jesus' inaction. Jesus doesn't stop her. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't stop her. And that's the tension. The tension is that she's a sinner with grave inappropriate actions. What is she doing here at this very moment? This woman is shamed from her past. Whatever it is back there, she is shamed. And knowing the label, the sinner, a pejorative, all negative, all the time, we know that she's also shunned. And so this woman bringing all of this shaming and all of this shunning into this place, let me tell you, all of that sin and all of that shunning has been replaced in the acceptance of Jesus Christ. All of the shunning and all of the shame immediately gets replaced by his acceptance. So strong and so graphic that she is weeping at his acceptance. So strong. It's not a tear or two. It's just a pouring so that it's enough to wash his feet. There's an abundance of tears. There's an abundance of oil. And I would say there's an abundance of joy because she has found one man who doesn't want something from her, but for her. He sees her for the first time, not for her body or for anything else, but sees who she could be. That's called potential. And that's what Jesus Christ has done over and over and over again in your life and mine. All of us have a label. All of us has a, have a category. And when Jesus has his arms stretched open like this, he accepts us exactly where we are. The joy of angel just erupts at this moment because there are words like forgiveness and peace and salvation and love that is in this passage all wrapped up in the most scandalous thing that we've seen in Luke so far. We've heard these testimonies, haven't you? Actually, you may have this testimony, don't you? Where you are far from Jesus, doing things that you are not proud of at all. And yet you engage Jesus and immediately your life has been changed forever and ever. And so brothers and sisters, let me just teach you a little something about this passage in that as believers, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are always 100% intolerant of the sins that we commit. We cannot tolerate even the slightest ounce of sin. We just cannot do it. The scripture tells us that we repent of those sins. We ask for forgiveness of those sins. We are then reconciled because of those sins. So there's no toleration whatsoever for the Christian and in their sins. It always needs to be repented of, right? However, in this passage, for us, we have to tolerate the sinner, no matter where they are, because we are just like them over and over again. I know a lot of your stories, but I don't know all of yours. But what about you? Do you have a season in your life that is full of shame and full of shunning? 
Do you have that decision or two that you gravely are just embarrassed to even think about, much less talk about? This passage tells us that your darkest deeds, your worst decision, that darkest season of your life does not define you. It's Jesus who defines you. It's not that season. It's not that sin. It's Jesus who defines you. Romans 5 tells us that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, meaning this is our boat. This picture is not a lady of scandal. This is a, lady, uh, this is a picture of you and me wholeheartedly that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. Christ dies for sinners. Christ loves the sinners. He comes after the sinners. And this is our just greatest hope is that Jesus Christ, he intentionally links his identity with her. He will never be written in this book without this scenario. His identity is linked with hers forever and he is pleased to connect his identity with you no matter what you've done in your past. The gospel of Luke over and over and over have these people who quote, do not belong. They're always on the periphery. They're always excluded in some ways. Mary, Elizabeth, the shepherds, and we're not even out of chapter two yet. Just in chapter seven, you have a centurion, a Roman, a widow, a, a, a widow who is a woman, and now this woman is a sinner. All the people on the periphery being welcomed into the kingdom. Jesus Christ is a friend of sinners. Is there anybody in here who thinks that you've done so much wrong that God would never accept you? So much so that he won't even look at you. Your past is so disgusting and so just mauled up. You can't even untie all the knots. Just go back to Luke 7 and just rest on the principle that Jesus Christ allowed this to happen to him. The gospel of Jesus says that there is a place at the table for all of us. Amen? All of us. So then we come to the center picture, or center character of our passage. It's not even about her. It's about Simon, the self-righteous. And so here we have a Pharisee, right, whose name is, is uh, Simon. We know his modus operandi is to always be the purity police. This is kind of like a hall monitor in high school. You're not sure why they're there. They're just always kind of pointing and shaking their fingers. Like this is what the, the, the Pharisees do. They always know what to do and what not to do, when to do it, when not to do it, all of the types of things. They're trying to keep purity at the highest level at all costs and then to purge society of all impurity. And they disowned and distanced themselves from ladies like this wholeheartedly. The main character is Simon, right? We know that Simon is the, name, the um, main character is because he has a name. If you notice the lady, she has no name. She says no words. We don't even know exactly her occupation. But we have Simon. We know his name. We know his occupation is a Pharisee. And he uses plenty of words. The actual sin in this passage 
is not on her. The sin that Jesus wants to bring a loop, wants us to recognize, is the sin of Simon. It's not toward her, it's actually toward him. Why? Because his sin is here and present and oozing out over him. We call this the sin of contempt. We call this the sin of scorn. We call this the sin of self-righteousness, where you have an attitude of condemnation and judgment over everybody else. The scenario is this, disdain, disdain, disdain. You are a sinner, I am not. And it just goes in that direction over and over and over. But look at the passage. He starts with her. She's a sinner and points at her, but then it flips on a dime. This guy is so strong, his shoulders so broad, his voice so provocative. He stops looking at his contempt and scorn toward her and equally has disdain and scorn toward Jesus Christ himself. She's doing the action. He's doing the inaction and both need to be called. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus gives a parable. Now, not that uh, we'll all have to be Bible scholars, but just a little tip. When Jesus uses a parable against you, it's usually a bad thing, okay? And so when he's like, hey, let me just ask you a question. Let's just talk about this for a second. And he goes into some kind of riddle, right? You just need to know you've been squared up on, right? And like you were the person who was in the center and now you are about to get smacked like a mosquito, like on a camping trip, you know, or something like that. It is about to go down. And so he gives this parable and it's so simple. It's like A plus B equals C simple. I mean, it's not one of those like not twisty things that you really don't understand. Let me ask you this, Simon, Let's just say you had student debt. You went to a private college, you regret that, da 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 da, and you walk out with $30,000 worth of debt. And somebody, the president of the university, calls on graduation day and was like, hey, by the way, your, da- your debt is canceled. Whew, hang up the phone, you call your mama. You will never believe this. President, whatever, he just said, my debt is, I mean, like, hello, this is something, right? Everybody's smiling. Student debt, gone. Now, let's just say you bought a decent-sized house. I mean, it's the year 2023, so you can't get as much these days. But let's just say you don't have $30,000 in student debt. Now you have $300,000 in mortgage. And the head of the bank calls. It was like, hello, Mr. Smith. I just want you to know that we have erased your $300,000 mortgage. Bro, you don't call your mom. You call the, like, the paper. You will never, I mean, like, it's just, it's just different. 30,000 is something. 300,000. Come on. And Jesus just slows down, and he asks him the question, which one has the most joy? Like, they're both joyful, but which one is it? And so not only is he just the purity police, but he just goes in and he says, I want you to see your heart. You love religion, but you don't love me. Your scorn is both toward her and toward me fully and completely. 
And the way that I know this is the way that you act. Did you see the way that she acted toward me? Let me just give you just a, just a, like a quick rundown on how you host somebody. When they walk in, you know, you shake their hands, you take their coat, you offer them a drink. That's just, just plain old hosting 101, right? That's just how we do it. But Simon, I've been here an hour and a half. And let me just tell you, did you kiss me? Did you wash my feet? Did you offer me anything? The answer is no, no, no. He says, I want you to look at her. She hasn't stopped giving these things to me. Simon failed at just basic hospitality, letting us all know where he stood over and over. And in this passage, Jesus does something so remarkable that still we cannot understand it, that Jesus elevates the level of a prostitute and criticizes the pastor all in the same moment. The one that was supposed to be full of esteem, the one that was supposed to be in the center of the story, the one that was supposed to have all of the accolades was diminished, while the one that was on the outside was welcomed in over and over and over again. I am at your home, but she is the true host of me. I'm here of your invitation, you've done nothing for me. She hasn't stopped giving to me over and over and over. And so, are you a Simon? Are you on the inside of some circle? Do you have contempt? Do you have disdain? Do you have judgmentalism? toward the people who are on the outside of your circle. You say the way the world works is we're all in the center of anybody's universe. And then in our circles, there's always an outside. If you're conservative, right, you're pointing your finger somewhere else. If you're liberal, point, I mean, it's just, it doesn't matter which circle. We all have peripherals, right? We all have people, but are you truly assignment this morning? where you look at the world around you and you have compassion toward those who are on the periphery? Are you a Simon who don't look at people at all, but instead you just, you show great disdain? Do you actually have a hard time celebrating God's grace on others when they start to see some kind of progress in their spiritual journey? Even worse, have you written off someone as a lost cause that will never, ever come to know Jesus. This is not her shame anymore. In fact, what Jesus is teaching us is now it's Simon's shame over and over and over again. So who makes you uncomfortable? What people group do you have disdain toward? Who have you written off and to say, they're a lost cause? Do you believe that there's anyone that God cannot forgive? Is there any lost causes? Simon the Pharisee thought so, and she was sitting in his home. Simon judged her as untouchable and was intolerant of her lifestyle. But Jesus Christ truly opens up his life and forgives her forever and ever. 
plot twist, Jesus is trying to purge Simons of the kingdom because we're all sinners in need of grace. Some of you walked in here with a backstory that will make anybody blush and there's room at the table. But some of you walked in here with an air of judgmentalism. You're highly critical. It's easy to be a critic, right? You just point. Maybe you're self-righteous and judgmental. I'm not sure. But the point of this story is that he's calling out church folks. He's calling out people who are very comfortable with Torah and knowing what to do and what not to do. And Jesus is saying, there's a warning here. And the warning is against those who are just like us. Because we can sit and point rather than accept. We love the fact that every single week, one of the largest unreached people group come right through that door. Those little kids, you know, ages, you know, zero all the way up to 10 or 11 or 12. People who are far from Jesus, right? And are here in our homes and in Camp Redstone and we pray for them fervently. And we love that we're baptizing kids and seeing them come to know Jesus. My question is, as we are salt and light in the world around us, are we just as fervent? Are we just as hopeful for people who simply would never darken our doors? Who would feel like they're sin and they've been shunned in a place that God maybe has given up on me. We want to be a place, right? Where we are loving people who are far from Jesus and not giving up on any of them, but praying for them by name. And so Jesus Christ uses words like faith and love and saved and peace. And he know, we know that this lady comes to know Jesus. We know that she has a right relationship with her. And she knows that out of the overflow of her heart, she will never stop talking about this moment. Because those who have been forgiven little, love little. But those who have been forgiven much, they just love much. So her life was full of love over and over and over. You can't draw a more stark contrast than this story here. A woman, right, pushed. A man who's supposed to be in the center. But Jesus Christ criticizes the one that was supposed to be elevated and then elevates the one that should be shunned forever. So which one is more like you? Do you find yourself at the feet of Jesus this morning, grateful for what he has done for you? Or are you the purity police? Are you the one standing guard over the purity of the church? And it's like, yeah, but they'll never do. We hope that because of our moment with Jesus, our time where he said you and calls us by name, we will never get over that moment. And so for that, we want to have open arms to say what we've sung is that there's no one too far from Jesus to be known by him. Let me pray for us. And so King Jesus, we know that you are reigning and ruling and we just pray that in your power now that you will never have us, you will never let us be the same. That because of Luke 7 and the peripheral people of the centurion and the widow and now this scandalous woman that they all came face to face with you, 
and literally had a reaction towards you of love and joy and peace. God, I pray for us, the Simons in here, that you would convict us. Maybe even now we would say, I am Simon this morning. You're not too far gone. (laughs) This passage is not just to condemn Simon, but to tell all the Simons of the world there's hope for us as well. We just have to drop our pride and drop in humility and say, Lord, I need to have as much joy for you as this woman did. So this morning, Lord, I pray for the Simons among us, the overly critical, the overly judgmental. I pray for the purity police. I pray for those who have a haughty spirit. That God, that you would do the hard work of catching us the next time we're we're tempted to go in that direction and say, I do not want to be a Simon. We also pray for those who have a pretty strong past, one that we may be a little bit or a lot embarrassed for. I pray that you find yourself at the feet of Jesus this morning, not in shame and definitely not shunned, but actually, if you are walking by faith, you are welcomed to the table. So whatever today is, April something, 2023, drive a nail in your past this morning and to say, I will not be defined by my sin. I'm now being defined by being forgiven by Jesus himself. And let that season of shame be a place of absolute joy that Jesus Christ has accepted you fully for who you are. So Lord, we're grateful for the church. We're grateful for the gathering of believers. Thank you for the word. I pray that you do the heavy lifting now in our own hearts and our stubborn, cold, hard hearts. Will you do the heavy lifting? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And so who comes to the table? Sinners, saved by grace. You may find yourself just doubting this morning, pain this morning, but if you believe in Jesus Christ, there is a place at the table for you. This table, there's four, two in the front, two in the, uh, two in the front, two in the back, and they are open for those who are following after Jesus. You know why? Because Jesus took a piece of bread, this, this just simple, elementary, but essential element of the first century, bread. He broke it. He says, this is my body given for you. You need sustenance, you likely lean on bread. But now your spiritual sustenance will always come through Jesus Christ. He wasn't done. He then takes the chalice of wine and he says, this is my blood poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. Have you had your sins forgiven this morning? If so, this table is for you. I want you not to go to those tables in sin and shame, but to go with joy that you've been accepted and welcomed to the table. Amen? So go ahead and stand. These tables are now open.